1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar. And chairman of the Cato Institute, we'll be talking about immigration law and policy, or the lack thereof. We'll visit with uh, Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Great columns that he wrote this past week. Uh, looking forward to speak to him, and as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's certainly been part of the space program. I'm sure he's got a lot to talk about with regard to what happened this past Saturday with a space launch. It is June the 2nd and on this day in 1800, John Adams, the second president of the United States, became the first president to reside in Washington, D.C. when he took up residence at the Union Tavern in Georgetown. The city of Washington was created to serve as the nation's capital because of the geographical position in the center of the existing new republic. The states of Maryland and Virginia ceded land around the Potomac River to form the District of Columbia. And work began in Washington in 1791. French architect Pierre Lafont designed the city, radical its radical layout, full of dozens of circles, crisscross avenues and plentiful parks, in 1792, work began on the neoclassical White House at uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue under the guidance of Irish American architect James Hoban. On January the, or excuse me, June 3rd, 1800, President Adams moved to a temporary residence in the new capital as construction was completed on the Executive Mansion. On November the first, the president was welcomed to the White House. The next day, he wrote to his wife about the new home. I pray. Heaven to bestow the blessed of blessings, the best of blessings, on this house, and all that shall hereafter inhabit it, may none be wi- but wise men ever rule under this roof. Some ap- soon after Abigail Adams arrived at the White House on November the 17th, and the U.S. Congress convened for the first time in the U.S. Capitol. Now, during the War of 1812, both buildings were set on fire in 1814 by British soldiers in retaliation for the burning of government buildings in Canada by the U.S. troops. Although torrential downpours saved the still uncompleted Capitol building, the White House was burned to the ground. The mansion was subsequently rebuilt and enlarged under the direction of James Hoban who added east and west terraces to the main building, along with the semicircular uh, South Portico and colonnaded North Portico. Work has remained largely unchanged since 1820. Interesting story. John Adams, moving to Washington, D.C. Well, Rick Scott, our senator from Florida here, announced that he will donate his second quarter state uh, Senate salary to St. Matthew's House in southwest Florida, Uh, St. Matthew's House, of course, is a not-for-profit organization focused on supporting individuals experiencing homelessness and poverty. Uh, Also, uh, uh, addiction, which has distributed thousands of meals to families amid the coronavirus pandemic. So, congratulations to uh, Senator Scott for his great decision to support St. Matthew's House, and I encourage you to do the same. Uh, I really support St. Matthew's House. They're having a uh, right now a program, to matching gift program of two hundred thousand dollars by the middle of June. They're currently raised about one hundred twenty-three thousand. So, help them out. Stmatthewshouse.org, and congratulations to you, Senator Scott. Well, Laura Logan talked about the goals of Antifa on Fox and Friends, and literally, it is the death of America. Uh, Here are the points that she made. Uh, This abolitionist, revolutionary abolitionist movement, the ten points of action. Number one, liberation will be won by any means necessary. Number two, we will destroy the state, the police, the military, corporations, all those who run the American plantation, they call it. We'll live with dignity in a world without prisons. Uh, Systems of punishment will be abolished. There will be no law to enforce and no money to protect. Revolutionary justice will be determined by those who are oppressed. There will be no government. No person or any group will have power over another. Communities will make decisions about how they live and will make sure that everyone has what they need to live a dignified life. Land is not property. It is alive, communal, and must be protected Alongside international comrades, we will destroy all borders with free movement of people everywhere. And number 10, militant ne- networks will defend our revolutionary communities. Liberation begins where America dies. That is, Those are the 10 points of action for this Antifa movement. Just to be clear, uh, some are saying, well, these are uh, looters and rioters, they'll go away. No, this is an uh, international movement. And we need to pay attention. I think the president is so right in focusing, dealing with with this group uh, with real force. Now, on a local scene, this weekend we had some peaceful protesters in downtown Naples, about 350 young folks, participating with four arrests for disorderly conduct and minor infractions. Yesterday we had an additional 25 tested positively for COVID-19 and no additional deaths. I think this whole thing is dissipating, quite frankly. Uh, and... Uh, Our governor, I think, has done a great job in orchestrating this when you consider what else is going on. Last night, we went to Dog Teeth Sports and Music Bar to hear Mudbone. It was fantastic and great to be among people again and enjoying uh, good music and food. The S&P 500 and Dow Jones indexes hit three-month highs yesterday as optimism about reopening of the economy after weeks of coronavirus lockdowns countered concern over more disruptions from the streets' protests that have been spread across the country. Yesterday, the Dow was up 267, despite social unrest, and futures right now are up about 150. So it continues to levitate. Uh, And uh, when I think about why, where else are you going to put your money? Uh, Aside from in the United States or in the stock market, uh, interest rates, in fact, (laughs) in some parts of the world, you actually have to pay to store your money at banks. So um, hopefully the economy will come back to support this levitating market that we have. Peaceful protests continued around the country, but so did the looting and violence. More than 5,600 folks nationwide have been arrested over the past week for a myriad of offenses, this according to the Associated Press. Police officers across the U.S. were targeted in shootings and vehicular attacks as protests uh, continued in major cities for the seventh night, despite President Trump's vow to clamp down on violence in St. Louis, uh, Missouri. Uh, Monday night, four police officers were shot during protests. Can you believe this? Uh, One after another. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo on Tuesday slammed New York Mayor Bill de Blasio's handling of riots in his city, calling it a disgrace and saying he has the power to displace the mayor, although he doesn't want to do it at this point. Cuomo spoke after a night of devastation in the Big Apple after protests in response to the death of George Floyd again. Devolved into riots and looting. Well, the protests didn't. Uh, These rioters and looters came in on the backs of these protesters, peaceful protesters. They're two distinct and separate groups, in my opinion. Uh, 700 arrests were made overnight in New York. Uh, it's just an extraordinary thing that's going on. President Trump said New York has lost its uh, to looters, thugs, radical left, and other forms of low life and scum. The governor refuses to accept my offer of a do- dominating National Guard, he tweeted New York. It was ripped to pieces, tweeted uh, President Trump. Well, I found this. Uh, this was actually posted by Dan Bongino, one of my favorites. if you have, his show is terrific. This is written by a New York police officer on the front lines. He says the world needs to know, and here's his personal message. After 32 years with the New York Police Department, I've never felt such disgust, hopelessness, and anger. Manhattan was occupied territory tonight. We were totally outnumbered by miscreants. They were brazen, laughing, and rampant. It was so prevalent... There was nothing a police officer could do according to the rules and expectations of the Democrat Party. Our leaders took to uh, knees of solidarity with protesters during the day and then had a uh, pretty graphic description, something stuffed down their throats at night. Zero leadership, zero courage, complete and utter pandering, and heard the Bronx was even worse. I didn't hear one person say their name of George Floyd. It was complete anarchy and savagery. New York. Uh, wait until you wake up and see the video of Manhattan. It looks like Iraq. If you don't beg Donald Trump to take charge of this, uh, these Democrat cities across the nation, your country will be lost. He said, "The crap I saw today disgusted me more." <laughs> I'm paraphrasing now. More than the crap I saw on 9/11 wasn't even close. Going to bed. Good night. He wrote to uh, Dan Bongino, former uh, police officer, of course, and part of Secret Service. So that's one, one police officer's message of what he's seeing in these liberal cities. Uh, here's an example of law enforcement that works. Speaking at a Monday press conference about his area in Florida, Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd issued a harsh message to those who would riot and destroy the area under his supervision, telling them, if you come here to riot, to loot, to injure people, we're going to lock you up in the county jail before quick and warning that if they targeted residential neighborhoods, his message to residents would be, I'm highly recommending that they blow you back out of the house with their guns. Just Judd started by asserting clearly and unequivocally, as a law enforcement community, I would like to say first and foremost that the death of George in Minneapolis at the hands of the police officer was outrageous. Had the police officer done that here, he he would be, have been locked up in the county jail by sundown, but Minneapolis is not Polk County. Atlanta is not Polk County. Los Angeles is not Polk County. I want to say unequivocally here that the community here has been absolutely, totally wonderful. We received information in social media that some of the criminals were going to take their criminal conduct into the neighborhoods, I would tell them if you value your life, you probably shouldn't do that in Polk County because the people of Polk County like guns, they have guns, and I encourage them to own guns, and they're going to be in their homes tonight with their guns loaded, and if you've tried to break into their homes to steal, to set fires, I'm highly recommending that they blow you back out of the house with their guns, so leave the community alone, he said. (laughs) <laughs> it's, see, that's that's good law enforcement. I mean, I'm guessing if you're in TFA, you're saying, why don't we skip over Polk County and go someplace where, like, de Blasio rules. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly stab has been part of Lulubee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Bee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Bee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulubee's.com and stop by Bee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Ballshire Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps in the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. Just received that million-dollar gift for its Performing Arts Center that's going to be built in downtown Naples. Uh, tickets are available now for the next season. Great productions coming up. Visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, a endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's an author. He's also the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
2: We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., fighting off the demonstrations. And uh, we're focused on private property, free markets, individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot org, O-R-G.
1: Well, well, we'd certainly like to see a lot less government uh, right now. But uh, So we're going to talk about immigration and immigration reform and immigration law. Uh, now, I would say the Cato Institute would identify itself as a libertarian organization. How would you characterize the libertarian view on immigration?
2: Well, I think a fair recap would be, uh, first, that illegal immigration is a problem. Second, that the problem has been uh, exaggerated and politicized mm-hmm. um, third, that there are a lot better options uh, than the draconian measures that the, that have been recommended by the current administration. so the libertarian views on immigration <clears throat> I think are not the views of of President Trump, but uh, libertarians agree with lots of other conservatives, including the editors of the wall street journal and uh, including President, uh, ex-President Reagan, who, uh, who used the phrase uh, four decades ago that, uh, that uh, President Trump uses uh, today. Reagan said, uh, and this is a quote, These immigrants, immigrant families came here to work. They spread across the land, buildings, cities, and towns. They brought with them courage, ambition, and the values of family, neighborhood, peace, and freedom. Uh, this country needs a renewed dedication that will give that dream new life and make America great again. So I'd say that's a, a you know, a fair uh, uh, recap of the libertarian view. We, we favor a liberalized immigration
1: policy. Yeah. So, but I, I would also suggest uh, that whatever that immigration policy is, which you you would like it to be liberal, uh, you'd also like it to be lawful. Absolutely. So, what's the scope of the immigration problem right now?
2: Well, we have about eleven million illegals. Um, I think despite the, the surge went back when we had these asylum seekers, uh, the overall number apprehended by border patro- uh, border patrol has been falling for decades. And uh, the uh, asylum seekers they they re- actually voluntarily present themselves for a hearing. So they're None. not uh, illegals who might have been stopped by a wall in fact they they were entitled to present themselves for a hearing um, the share of our population that's foreign born is about the same as it is in germany and france uh... far below canada and australia uh... nearly sixty percent of our immigrants have been here more than ten years a third of them own homes a third of them have children born here who are uh, by law u.s. citizens um, most of these folks arrive legally <clears throat> by car or plane, sometimes as tourists or students or, uh, or just travelers, and then they violate our laws by staying too long mm-hmm. and uh, not reporting uh, periodically. So according to the Department of Homeland Security, um, in a recent year, 170,000 illegals crossed the border, but the same year, 630,000. Uh, became illegal because they overstayed their visas even though they came in um, legally. Yeah. So border control, not even a wall, would keep out folks that come in legally yeah. with valid visas and then overstay yeah. uh, those, those visas. The net immigration of Mexicans uh, has been negative uh, for more than 10 years, and Mexican border arrests have been declining uh, significantly to the lowest level then in decades. So, you know, we have a problem, uh, but I do think it's
1: been uh, exaggerated. Yeah, but, you know, the, the people that you're referring to that uh, come here legally, I mean, it's because of the convoluted laws that we have requiring them to go back and reapply, <laughs> you know, it, exactly. make it very <clears throat> difficult for these people. So, I mean, I yeah, certainly but understand that uh, it's, it's we have created the problem.
2: Indeed, we have. Our laws really do need to be uh, overhauled root and branch. They are absurd and they are so complex that nobody understands them. Yep. Uh, they require lengthy administrative and legal processes. Uh, they keep immigrants in the underground economy. Um, so we do need, a, uh, I think, a total overhaul of our immigration policy.
1: Absolutely. So uh, yeah, uh, the one, one uh, statement and concern for, an, among many Americans is immigrants are a net burden to taxpayers. Any comments on that?
2: Well, aliens uh, are not entitled to welfare for five years. Mm -hmm. Um, And illegal aliens are never entitled. Um, And remember that immigrants would be paying a lot more in taxes uh, if it weren't for these irrational policies that you talk about Mm -hmm. uh, that force them into the underground economy because they're afraid of deportation. So if we want uh, them to be less of a tax burden, if we want more tax dollars, from immigrants, uh, the answer is to give them more opportunities for legal work. Mm-hmm. Um, even our, even under our current law, uh, the immigrants pay more in taxes over their lifetime than they receive in benefits. Uh, and of course, if we're worried about uh, this comparison between dollars spent on health care, health and welfare, um, there are a lot of other groups who are net recipients of government largesse. Uh, you, you know, most of the benefits. In this country, go to the old and the sick mm-hmm. uh, through Social Security and Medicare mm-hmm. and Medicaid. Uh, the immigrants um, tend to be young, healthy males, and they receive proportionately less benefits uh, than U.S. citizens. So, I think, on balance, no, they're not. Uh, uh, they're not a a. a
1: a burden. A burden. Yeah, and one thought came to mind is that uh, you, you mentioned these two different numbers of, of immigrants, 130,000 coming here illegally, uh, 430,000 or 630,000 coming coming uh, legally. I would imagine they they went through a legal process of screening. In other words, we're, we're able to make sure the miscreants aren't are coming into the United States when they apply for their visas. So uh, it, in, in a sense, there is some protection for uh, American taxpayers and for the uh, criminal justice system because of how they came here.
2: Yes, if they have uh, criminal records, uh, if they have uh, diseases that uh, are contagious, then they can legitimately be turned down. Mm. And, of course, we have laws that that set quotas on the, <clears throat> the number that are admitted in any event. So, yes, uh, if they come in legally, then we do have some... Uh, protections against them being a drain on uh, on the economy and like i said in any event they're not entitled to welfare yeah uh, they are entitled to k to twelve schooling and they are entitled to emergency health care yeah uh, but not welfare and illegals uh, can't get welfare no matter how long they're here
1: well I think I think all Americans understand we need immigration and we've got a negative birth rate right now we have to have these people coming in I guess it's the, the question is can we pick and choose who gets to come and uh, so are, are, are immigrants more likely to commit crimes in the United States
2: well during the recent uh, decade when when our immigrant population was growing, from 6 million to, you know, close to 11, 12 million, uh, the violent crime rate dropped a third, mm-hmm. and property crime dropped 26%. So, I mean, I, I don't think that, that correlation is necessary necessarily causation, right. but nonetheless, there's no indication that crime went up during that period. Overall crime uh, fell in cities with the most immigrants, New York, L.A., you know, Chicago, Miami, and even border cities like San Diego and El Paso. So uh, Customs and and Border Protection encountered lots of unaccompanied minors, and there was a lot of talk about those minors were members of gangs. But in terms of actual uh, identified members, out of Mm 250,000 unaccompanied minors over a seven-year period, they only identified 259 persons that were members of this uh, MS-13 gang. That's two hundredths uh, of one percent. And I think more broadly, immigrants... About one-fifth is likely to be in prison than somebody who's uh, born here. And, and they're also less likely to be in, in mental hospitals. Yeah. So mostly they come here to work.
1: And I bet you there's not many of them who are part of Antifa right now. So that's that's a, exact, They're here to work, really. Absolutely. Bob, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute, this is so interesting to have this discussion, Bob. I genuinely appreciate your commentary. I would recommend to our listeners go to Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Govern- Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, and I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. He wrote a couple of great columns uh, here uh, today. We're seeing private property, or this week, I should say, private property being destroyed. It's so sad to see the the destruction of uh, people trying to tear down America. Any thoughts?
3: Well, property is not just some incidental part of our discussion, Bob. In many A philosopher's mind, perhaps the major philosopher's mind, property is the essential human right. Uh, If we go back to our uh, intellectual father, uh, who's often considered to be John Locke, Mm -hmm. uh, Locke held that a central political principle that rights and property are the basis of human freedom, and government exists to protect them and to preserve public order. So in other words, it is not just an incidental. It is the critical component. Ayn Rand uh, offered uh, in the 20th century, the right to life is the source of all ri- rights, and the right to property is their only implementation. Without property rights, no other rights are possible. So as I look at this uh, wilds- widespread uh, property destruction and the way it's dismissed as if it has no, no significance, no importance, uh, is, is an absolute uh, rejection of all we built this country on uh... property rights and uh... iran if i might add another comment by on Rand, he says just as man can't exist without his body so no rights can exist without the right to translate one's rights into reality to think to work and to keep the results which means the right of property so it's it's an essential part of this discussion uh... when we look at looting taking place uh, if i speak just to looting bob for example Uh, Looting uh, during uh, times where there's no emergency or no crisis is considered to be simple theft. If it takes place during times of emergency or crisis, looting is a serious felony in which most states will have a 15-year penalty at minimum. In some circumstances, depending on the crisis, it can be a life sentence. So looting is not just something that is a... Uh, again, uh, once again, an incidental part of what's going on. Looting is in many ways considered one of the great crimes that takes place in a civilization. Uh, and, again, uh, looting is being defended. The looters are being defended by the, uh, by the media, by the entertainment industry, by uh, leftist politicians, and, unfortunately, by, by all too many politicians on the right. Uh, for example, if we look at uh, a comment uh, just yesterday from Michael Steele, former head of the RNC, Michael Steele says that uh, Trump is now moving towards being a law and order president, so we forget about coronavirus. So uh, it's it's being manipulated to be just that that Trump doesn't really care about anything that's going on. He just wants us to forget about his failures in the area of of coronavirus. Uh, If we look at George Bush's comments yesterday... He just doesn't uh, deplore racism or the act that that took place in Minneapolis. Uh, He he describes it as systemic racism. In other words, George Bush is giving uh, absolute uh, validation to the basic concept that racism is integral to America, integral to our institutions, government and police institutions. Uh, Absolutely outrageous comments with with certainly no support that can be offered uh, statistically. And we'll get to the statistical reality of all of this in a a second, Bob.
1: Yeah, I I tell you, the the statistics, that I think the column that you wrote was uh, uh, looking for light not heat. And it, it, you, you do uh, make the statistical case for the fact that a lot of this is just, it's fantasy. It's just uh, unbelievable. It's, uh, as you uh, describe it, as psychosis. But
3: uh, Well, that, that was another blog, and I think certainly we are in a state of psychosis. Certainly if truth is being dismissed wantonly as it is, and uh, that is one of the characteristics of, of the psychotic. If we go back to the Minneapolis uh, incident, uh certainly uh, uh, every fair-minded decent person when they saw what happened to George Floyd found it to be abhorrent and 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 horrible to watch and, right. and for any human being to go through it just unacceptable uh and uh, on the other hand and I don't want to dismiss what I just said but on the other hand the presumption that Chauvin did that police officer ex-police officer Chauvin did that because Floyd was black has no documentation uh if in fact we look at the 15 prior uh, misconduct allegations brought against chauvin, there is no racial propensity uh shown in the actions taken by chauvin in the past. Uh, he has been uh, described as having a very uh severe and volatile temper, so it merely because it happens to a black does not mean it happened because he was black, uh, so there is this constant uh movement when whenever something happens to an African American to presume it happened. Because he was an African American, if we look at police statistics which you alluded to and in, uh, in my uh, in my column on uh, looking for light not heated deals with that, if we look at the the number of police uh, for, uh, fatal shootings the the majority happen uh, to whites and certainly they happen in just about the exact proportion you would expect considering the level the level of violent criminal behavior that's being dealt with mm-hmm. if we look at the number mm-hmm. of of, bl- of black homicides. Uh, almost 90 percent are committed by other blacks. Uh, if we look at the number of uh, of unarmed shootings uh, of, uh, of, of victims of the police, uh, the majority of those unarmed uh, victims of police shootings are white. Uh, so I'm not trying to dismiss any of the the issues that are being verbalized but i would like to suggest that we have to look at the numbers here that uh... the police for example nationwide have less than four thousandths of a percent of 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 allegations brought against them as having uh, uh, been involved with misconduct mm-hmm. so there is no proof statistically and statistics are not everything Bob. but right. certainly they should be something they should be part of this discussion and they're not even brought into play this this basic presumption that the police are racist the police are are violent with a uh, specific propensity towards african-americans has absolutely no documentation within any statistics that are provided by, by objective statistical accumulation,
1: Bob. Yeah, uh, so I, I'm going to encourage our listeners to read your column. I'm going to post it later today, but it's uh, called Looking for Light, Not Heat. All the statistics that you provide, I think, demonstrate clearly that uh, where's the proof? Show me, you know, what, what is the old thing? Where's the beef? It, there's there's uh, nothing to, that really statistically uh, validates that, but there's all this, I'm going to call it white shame be, you know, somehow, some way uh, white people are bad because of whatever, (laughs) I don't understand what, if actually there's a group of them sitting down and apologizing for being white, my goodness, what's going on?
3: Look, uh, it's white guilt, and I, I, look, I I feel for anyone who is damaged by by anyone uh, inappropriately, and perhaps even more so when it's the police, because they are acting in our name, uh... but if we look at the the incidents across america police actions across america uh, again to just, just to re- repeat that point because it's so important there is no documentation that there is a general systemic racism uh... in the in the american police activity so uh, i think we have to start to introduce real information and start to have our our politicians uh, not not defend children because i don't think there's much of a defense for the uh, for the actions of children but defend america and right. uh if you look at it getting back to George bush where he describes it as systemic racism just just an outrageous charge considering the uh the nature of the uh, the society we live in the actions that have been taken to uh, try to undo uh racial problems and uh we we've done a, a, an incredible job in in trying to produce the healthiest society we can if we look at the problems the problems are are certainly in the democrat controlled Large urban Absolutely. areas; uh, these people are in a dependency mode, uh, and and they are kept in that mode uh, willingly by uh, by by Democrat mayors and in some cases Democrat governors. Yeah. If we look at the unwillingness of uh, of the mayor of New York to bring in National Guard to control the uh, control the looting and the uh, the the rampages that are taking place in New York City. Um, uh, you you can see that he's re, he, by doing so, by not taking action of that sort, he is in fact supporting the looters. Well, let me add at this point something that you might find of interest. The, the head of the, uh, uh, New York City Sergeant uh, Benevolence Association, Ed Mullen, is a former student of mine. He got his major, his master's degree in, in my program. And, and Ed posted last night, and it's on American Thinker today. It was in the papers uh, yesterday. Uh, Ed says, I know we are losing the city. We have no leadership, no direction, and no plan. I know you are being held back and used as pawns. I understand. I am one of you. I am doing and will continue to do everything I can to protect you and the people of the city. So I'm asking you to please stay together and stay strong. Hold the line and protect each other. Stand shoulder to shoulder. Do not give up. Never give up. The New York police are being suppressed in their ability. This is a uh, 35,000-person police force, and they are... Not allowed to use any of the weapons, uh, and I use that in the in the general sense of weaponry uh, to control looting, to control mass crowds that are violent, uh, and this is all being done in support uh, in support of the uh, the looters. And uh, the focus is Antifa, but that is not the entirety of the problem. Uh, certainly, there's a high percentage of the the looting taking place with inner city African Americans. So we we have perhaps uh, a moment of what we might call rebellion. And I see so little pushback that it's uh, uh, it's it's outrageous to consider that we're allowing this to take place because it's giving further credence to uh, the potentials of these acts in the future. And I think it's uh, not a difficult prediction. I think we can predict we'll see more and more of these type of things as we go on.
1: Absolutely. Andy. hey, I want to continue the conversation with you. Can you stick around?
3: I'll be here,
1: All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House thrift stores, Cafe M25, car wash and detailing center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. Org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob
1: Harden. Hey, a little shout out to uh, Lulabee's uh, Diner at uh, Green Tree Shopping Center. They uh, support St. Matthew's House. You heard it, a commercial for St. Matthew's House. I hope you will support them and their businesses. They're all open for business right now, and uh, they do a great job of supporting the homeless. Go to stmatthewshouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Good to be with you, Bob.
1: So the the thought comes to my mind that uh, right now it's very difficult to defeat an enemy unless you understand truly who the enemy is, and we're seeing such soft uh, confrontation by people like de Blasio and others. Seems to me we're just turning the city over to anarchists
3: well there's no doubt that's true and it's it's to being done willfully and with the as i said before the support of the protesters being the being the purpose uh... if we look at the the nature of uh, the understanding of what's going on it seems to be very limited it uh, it seems to be perhaps limited to, to president trump and he's, he's doing the best he can if we look at his walk to the church the other day, we can see how uh, the media will corrupt everything that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said that the crowd was tear gassed so that Trump could have a photo op. Uh, they were not tear gassed. They were smoke bombed. And why were they smoke bomb bombed? They were smoke bombed because they were, they were throwing projectiles. They were, they had steel pipes and bats. Uh, they were throwing glass and bottles at the, at the police. So they were dispersed uh, as they should have been. They then Photoshop a picture of of Adolf Hitler holding a Bible in exactly the same way as President Trump held the Bible. So here we are. If the question is, who is the enemy? Um, and I had to say one specific thing, if that was what I was challenged to do, I would say the media is the enemy. And we yep. can never get past this if the media is not willing, not to be on my side or our side or your side, Bob, but to be on the side of accuracy and truth. And unless they do that, uh, I do not think there's any chance for us dealing with this in a successful manner. Uh, in my blog where I talk about, uh, what's our plan, uh, the answer is we don't have a plan. We, uh, and if you brought up, you just mentioned, we, we haven't identified the enemy. We haven't identified the source of all this. And if we do identify it, then the question becomes, how do we translate that into action? There are no answers. Bob. I, Let let me say that differently. There are no answers we've come up with. Are there answers that can be can be created? Probably so, but requires courage and the willingness. Uh, to risk the wrath of the police, the Democrat progressive uh, uh, talking heads, uh, and there are not many politicians on either side of the issue who are willing to put themselves in the line of fire for that purpose.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, the president may, he's uh, uh, going to declare Antifa a terrorist organization, which is fine, but maybe not all the folks that are violating the law right now are Antifa uh, related, as you pointed out earlier. So, you know, the the key here is law and order. We want, uh, all you have to do is to live peacefully, live under, according to the law. Uh, you've got protections against the police and against the, the police state, you know, because uh, the Constitution says you are free. So just live according to the law. If you violate the law, you will be held accountable. That's the pure and simple fact of the matter. And these people have declared, that are doing this right now, have declared, we don't respect the law. We don't want to be part of America. We want to destroy America. So they have to t- take the consequences.
3: It is their their major intent to destroy the law and the artifacts of the law. For example, when they burned the, three, excuse me, the third precinct in Minneapolis, uh, that was not just an incidental burning of a police precinct. No. That was a focused attack. The attacks on the banks are focused attacks. Uh, the attack on government facilities are focused attacks. Yes. They are attacking uh, the structure of government. They are attacking law and order. Uh, what I would like to hear and, and see happen, Bob, and I'm um, just just wishful thinking. Uh, is have a position taken where it, it, a statement goes out to ask the decent protesters, those that are protesting with a a, a true commitment to uh, to racial justice uh, to uh, cease and desist for a period of time so that the protesters that we see in the streets are can be isolated as the ones that are violent, uh, that are damaging not only property but human life there was a a police captain shot recently who was uh he used to be a police captain He was shot there were four policemen shot in St Louis last night but we have to be able to separate these uh these these mobs that assemble every night in the major cities uh, and the problem now is that we can't that the and so in the uh, in and the intent not to damage the the innocent protester. Uh, we we find it almost impossible to deal with the
1: violence. You, you know, you make a good point, Andy. And uh, you know, right now they, this is like an army. They have uh, captains. They have people calling the shots. They're you know they're uh, reconnoitering after the attacks to discuss next steps. I mean, this is this is orchestrated nationwide. we got to uh, wake up, America. Where you know this is an assault on our way of life. Andy, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. I'm going to post your columns later on my website. You can find it on Correct Me If I'm Wrong. Andy, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining and us. Thank you, Bob. Talk to you soon. My pleasure, indeed. All right, Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. As you can imagine, he must be beaming after Saturday's space launch. So we're going to be talking about that. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and great season of productions lined up starting in the fall. You can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's the author of several books. His latest is Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future, uh, what a read that is! I read it; it's just fantastic, Professor. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
4: Yeah, oh, thanks so much.
1: Absolutely, and uh, you know, obviously, you have had to be so proud, being uh, the professor of space architecture, and playing such an important role through the years, and what's with our space program. You must have been so excited to see what happened on Saturday. Well, of course, it's it's
4: uh, you know, we America needs something to be excited about. Yeah. And uh, uplifting, and and I think now more than ever, and uh, and I think we forget, as I mentioned in my my recent article, how uh, what we've what our country has accomplished, and and most particularly what I was saying in that article is that it's the private sector that's that's powered so much of it, and so when I say private sector, I'm talking about Individual entrepreneurs and, and, you know, people who believe things are possible and they're, they're the builders and the makers and, and and then as we were talking just momentarily before, before, you know, right now, uh, you're talking about the juxtaposition of them, the makers with the breakers, those that are, you know, that, that are nothing is possible, we're all victims, let's burn down some buildings and, you know, woe is me and, and, what an incredible contrast of two Americas now. And I think we lose perspective, which, which America is dominant? You know, mm-hmm. is, it, is it the victims and the, the woe is me crowd? And, and uh, I can't make it because, um, somehow I was held back or whatever, you know, race, gender, what, whatever you want to, you know, blame it on, or the everything is possible crowd, which is, which is, I think the one that, gave us the you know the liberties and the benefits we have today and I think we're I, I think it's we're overwhelmingly the positive one but I mm-hmm. think it's the other the other side of America that that captivates and dominates the media and I think we have a gives us a very skewed view of who we are and what to expect and we have a tendency to think all is lost because you know everyone is a victim and and how, how terrible things are but I think the real silent majority is the one that that says, you know, hey, wait a minute, let's 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 take a deep breath and let's let's look at let's look at what's positive and because, you know, they're thinking about instead of marching or you know, looting, they're thinking about how do I raise my family and how do I how do I progress in, in in the world and how do I contribute something.
1: Right, you know, professor, I appreciated your column so much uh, because you are. Uh, for- Fairly transparent with regard to your own role in the space program, which I found so enlightening and so inspiring myself. I just really appreciate it. I mean, you founded a company, it's a co-founded a company that participated in the, state, uh, in the, pro- in the uh, space program. Uh, it must have been disappointing to see it shut down during the years of Barack Obama, but it's started up now. And as you pointed out, it's through free enterprise. It's the American character. It's the American spirit that's making this happen.
4: Yeah, and when we when we started our company in the mid '80s, and I did mention Neil Armstrong was on our board, and, and and my partner was the chief engineer of NASA, who at the Johnson Space Center, who had so much to do with putting together the Mercury and Gemini Apollo program, but also the, you know the Space Shuttle program, Max Faget, and I have you know he passed away many years ago, but I I, I have such profound respect and admiration for for Max and. And Art and two other board members, along with Neil Armstrong, were the first two directors of the Johnson Space Center. In mm. that in that company group, you know, through mergers and acquisitions, over eight thousand people. And uh, General Dynamics bought the company uh, back, you know. Uh, so so that started with that's that company started with an idea. I just had an idea, you know, for this company, and, and the point is, it happened. And started in Houston, it became a larger company beyond know, Houston. But it started as an idea. It was just an idea, and mm-hmm. we got excited about it, and more people joined with us, and Westinghouse became a partner, Boeing became a partner. But it, but it just it started with an idea. Start with a dinner conversation in a restaurant, hmm. and uh, and you see how that's America.
2: Yeah, I mean
4: it's that's America, and. And how many places in the world can can this sort of thing happen? You look at Elon Musk, and of course he has started a lot of different enterprises. But in a, a really short period of time, that that idea and and was, they weren't all his ideas, but no. nevertheless, he, he's he's a doer. And and, and what happened uh, was really you know really remarkable. You know during the launch on Saturday and and the and and the docking and so on, and ironically and sadly, it was all dwarfed by that other America that we you know that 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 you know the media keeps pushing that oh we're you know we, we can't accomplish anything you know we need to we need to pillage and burn, we need to use this uh this terrible thing that happened with you know with with the death, and then somehow use that as an excuse to. You know, to, to loot stores and burn burn things, and yeah, and and it's so it's
1: so sad. Yeah, well, professor, you know, I I watched the launch. I found it so inspiring, and it actually brought tears to my eyes. I thought the president after the launch, he was so proud, and he gave, I think, maybe one of the best speeches of his life. It was so inspiring to me. I, I just wonder how many people actually watched it because it was it was an important uh, it was an important point in our history. It was a I guess an inflection point in our history.
4: Yeah, I I think uh, as we're looking now, as you know, again, you know, name drop, but Buzz Aldrin's been one of my close. He's probably one of my closest, longest-term friends. Mm. And and uh, you know, he has such a vision of what, you know going to Mars, and this is all he talks about, all he thinks about. Mm-hmm. And and he, you know, his. He doesn't want to be remembered as the second person that walked on the moon. He wants to, remember, you know, I think his legacy is he wants to feel like he's, he's part of the future. And and uh, and 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 I, and I look at I look at Buzz and 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 we think of how long it's been a half a century since we walked on the moon, since he walked on the moon, and and now it's time for you know we to think beyond and yeah, and we think of what space does is is really I think as much as anything it's just to think beyond ourselves and think, you know, think that dreams are possible and give us goals and recognize that uh, enterprise and courage and, and determination still matter and and having a little bit of a little bit of scientific or technic and technological uh, understanding of things, how things work. Yes. Uh in terms of how do, how do you build things and how do you reimagine things and how does how do you use How do we adapt to technology and use it rather than have it use us?
1: Yeah. You know, to me, it was one of the things that's inspiring about this whole thing is, of course, Elon Musk has not had all successes. He's had failures. He's had rockets blow up and fall apart and so forth. So, I mean, but he kept his vision. He kept on working at it. He was persistent. And, uh, you know, I I do. I'm critical of him in some ways because he's taken a lot of government largesse in the process. But what he's accomplished is truly amazing.
4: Yeah, I'm on the same page you are, and and I had uh, I was just thinking I had I had an opportunity to meet him, you know, a few years ago when he, they invited me to see what they were doing uh, in terms of SpaceX, and and ironically, Buzz had a had an event at the same time, and I chose to go to Buzz's event. I so I I never went to see you know Elon Musk's operation. Uh uh-huh it would have it would have been interesting, but he's got some really dedicated motivated young people working there and there. and that's and I, I work with this I have my graduate students that are you know space architects and and they're so in the couple all over the world,
1: yeah
4: center and they're so they're so pumped up i mean they're such idealists they're such they they live and breathe and you know sleeps and stuff and and it, it recharges my batteries being around them.
1: Yeah. Well, I must say, Professor, I just uh, your story is so inspiring. I just want to encourage our listeners to go to uh, Newsmax.com, check out your column on point. The latest is "Enterprising Private Sector Propels U.S. Into Space." A great column, and again, your book uh, is. Uh, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. It is a privilege, Professor, to have you on the show. I genuinely appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Well, Bob, I always appreciate being invited. Thank you
1: so much. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, hey, tell somebody. Maybe they'd like to listen too. That's kind of how it's all organic, right? I don't do a lot of advertising on the show, but uh, you can help spread the word if you like what you're hearing here. Uh, Always appreciate your commentary. Send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. We have great guests for tomorrow's show, and I hope you'll join us. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. (laughs)